Welcome back to Word and Table, a podcast about liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship and why it is vital in our world today. Uh, we're recording, uh, this is a, this is a uh, Thursday evening, actually, yep. uh, from Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois, today. The Cathedral of the Diocese. That's true, the Cathedral of the Diocese. And what does that mean? Well, we're going to get into that. (laughs) I'm here as always with, uh, this is Father Stephen Gauthier, canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest and the Anglican Church in North America. Hello, Father Stephen. Good to be back, Alex. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, And I'm your host, Alex Wilgus. Um, I am a uh, lay catechist at uh, Logan Square Anglican Church uh, in Chicago, Illinois. Um, and today we want to talk about, um, church structure, how the church is set up. You know, when I first came into the Anglican church, there were a lot of new names for things I had to figure out. The church I came from, there were just kind of pastors and congregations. Mm-hmm. But coming into the Anglican church, there seemed to be a lot of layers of things. There were priests, deacons, bishops, archbishops, deans, there were, uh, instead of, you know, congregation and denomination, that's all I needed to know, or maybe conferences, uh, it, to talk about regional bodies, there were parishes, there were deaneries, there were dioceses, that was a brand new word for me, um, there were provinces, um, and it just took, a, it, it, I was pretty bewildered at the beginning, and um, I imagine some of our listeners are too. I so, imagine so. Yeah, so Stephen, tell us the story of how did all of this uh, form? Tell us the story of how, that, how the church formed in this way. I think maybe the best way to look at it is I think we sometimes tend to think of going back is that we have Jesus, and then we have all of us who are trying to follow him, figure out what do we do now that the Lord is at the right hand of the Father? How do we sort of work this out? How do we walk together? But that's actually not what happened. Remember the very first thing Jesus does in his ministry, it's interesting, in all the Gospels, all four, is he calls apostles. He calls disciples to be with him, and he chooses 12 of them in a very special way. And that's the church. Jesus is never without his church from the very beginning. It's not something afterwards or in the wake of Jesus' departure, what do we do, is he's inseparable from his church. It's a living organism. You know, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. That's how we're going to be connected is through this. So throughout his ministry, it's the story not of Jesus, but also of his apostles, his disciples. So the disciples were the first church. They were the first church. That's right. I recall Matthew, he says, what do you do if you have something against your brother? He says, well, first tell your brother. If your brother listens to you, great. If he doesn't, bring another brother. Said otherwise, bring it to the church. So this is <laughs> this is the uh, this is the first church, and so from the very beginning, Jesus uh, is inseparable from his church. That's how he does ministry from the very first day. So what happens when the Lord is taken away is he gives all those powers to his church. That's the whole, for example, he says on the night of the resurrection in John's gospel, he comes, he says, he, says, he breathes them, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, you know, is breathed into all, in, into all the apostles. The church then, it's not by an accident that again in Acts of the Apostles, Luke tells us of that the, the apostles are doing all the miracles Jesus did because the church continues Jesus' work. His spirit is alive and well in the church. So it's again, it's a fundamental difference. Instead of seeing the church as again sort of something we put together to what do we do we're all trying to follow jesus as a practical matter is the church has always been been there it's the living continuation it's a it's a she it's a living being it's the living continuation of jesus it comes through the apostles we see in the new testament um you know the apostles found churches they appoint elders 
they're in communion, they give the right hand of fellowship to one another. And that's how you knew you were with the disciples of Jesus. There were churches, you know, Paul talks about the church at Corinth, but it's part of one great church. And so that's originally where this comes from, and those apostles appointed successors. And when we look at just the um, New Testament, for example, actually the apostles, some of the ter- terminology isn't all that precise. Then we sort of, the word that becomes bishop is episcopus in Greek, which simply means the one who looks over. You know, you think of the telescope, scopus, you know, is, is looking, you know, it is over. So it was the overseer, the one who looked over things. And we also talked about elders. And there's one speech in Acts of the Apostles where Paul uses the terms pretty interchangeably. But what we know is very, very early on, we have the writings, for example, one of the earliest church writers is called Ignatius of Antioch. He's a great martyr. We celebrated his feast recently. And when we see his letters, we see already what became universal is that someone who had succeeded those apostles was appointed one in a city, you know, a single bishop or mm. overseer. And that overseer was surrounded by a council of elders, an eldership council. Later on, that term was translated priest, but it's, it simply means elder. Presbyteros in Greek simply means old man, elder. So priest and elder, the biblical elders uh, and priests, even contemporarily, that's the same thing. It's the same thing, right. Okay. Uh, they're the same word. And then we you, know, have- you said something really quick. Let me stop you. You said something about uh, the people that succeeded the apostles. How, right. how did that work? How did, how, do you, how did the apostles choose people to succeed them? What did they do? Well, we were told, for example, um, not just the apostles, when they appointed, where they would lay on hands. They would lay on hands to, for the, remember, Timothy is told, you know, don't forget the gift you receive with the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. And so the tradition became that people, they, the, the apostles themselves, you'll recall, when Judas was no longer, and the Peter says we need to, we're going to replace him. Yeah, tell me about that really quick. Why did they need to replace Judas? I've always been interested in that. You know, were they were they shorthanded? <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, to be fair, is it's the fullness the the twelve that number twelve represented the fullness of the promised Israel. It wasn't just the promise to the nations, but the promise to Israel would be fulfilled as well. Mm. The twelve yeah. tribes, with the twelve tribes, and so that that fullness it wasn't lost. You know, so he was replaced. Okay, but clearly the apostles. Uh, were appointed successors who recognized their successors. And that's the, the base of those became the oversayers. And the tradition was one to a city. The church would organize. Matter of fact, Ignatius in the very early second century said, where can you find the quote, the universal, that's what Catholic means, the universal church. Where can you find the church? Uh-huh. He said, just look for the bishop. Where you find yeah. the bishop, there you'll find the church. Because okay. the, that's the living embodiment of the church. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the idea is that Jesus laid on hands of his disciples and the disciples laid on hands to other people and those people eventually became priests and bishops. Right. He he chose, I wouldn't say laying on of hands, how how the Lord did it isn't specified for us, but okay. clearly in the New Testament this um this empowerment is through the laying out of hands. People people are commissioned in the New Testament by the laying out of hands. Okay. So they have these bishops. And what happened later on, again we had this council of elders, originally uh, the idea was that we wanted to emphasize our unity. So Christians always worshiped together in one place. Mm-hmm. Always did. One bishop, sign of the unity, and that bishop was at union with all the other bishops of every other city. Mm-hmm. And what happened, though, is with this council of elders is, as Christianity expanded, for example, in cities, like Rome, which were large, large cities, you couldn't fit everybody into one building. So what do you do? You had sort of satellites. Yeah. But how did you emphasize? Because you wanted to emphasize the unity that's shown by the bishop is they would send one of these elders out would basically be in charge of that satellite on behalf of the bishop. Mm-hmm. And that's where it would later on, many we eventually call parishes. 
is we have sort of like, uh, you know, a place, a, a church, which was not actually run by the bishop, you know, it was under the bishop's jurisdiction, but by one of his elders, one of his priests yeah. or elders. So that's where we ended up getting the system of we have a bishop for a, a, a region, but within that region, individual churches within that region um, would, uh, would, would, be run, would be managed or overseen by priests. So tell me a little bit about the the difference between an elder and a bishop. What are the different functions there? What do what do priests or elders do, and what do bishops do that are distinct? Well, that's a good point. There are three traditionally. There are three things the church has seen a bishop as doing as one of those successors of the apostles. Uh, we talk about teaching, but in a special way. We don't anybody. We have lay people teach, of course. Any number of people have wonderful teaching gifts. This is a special type of teaching. This means speaking on behalf of the church, saying this is what we believe. Hmm. It's basically speaking definitively on what the church believes, speaking in the name of the church. Okay. So, so there's a certain amount of authority with which authori- the Authoritative speak. teaching, right. Okay. They speak for the deposit of faith. Remember Paul, when he famously says in, in 1 Corinthians, he said, I'm handing on to you what I, for, what I heard from, what I, it's handed to me from the Lord. You know, this is yeah. this deposit of faith. That's their first role. The second role is called sanctifying. And this is where the, the sacraments, you know, this would be our baptizing, celebrating the Lord's Supper, etc. That's the second role of the bishop. And the third role of the, of the bishop was governance, was to govern. So basically it was to, uh, was to teach, be authoritative teacher, uh, to sanctify, basically to lead, lead the communi- community in, in baptism and Eucharist, lead the prayers, and finally to govern church discipline, you know, or di- uh, matters of church discipline within the church. Now what's, the bishop would share those powers, would delegate those powers to priests. And to this day, a priest is simply is delegated by the bishop. Oh, okay. Every priest simply operates in the, in the bishop's name. Okay. So the priest is a representative of the bishop, really. Uh, absolutely. The, the real authority is the bishop's. We, all the powers we have as priests are simply in the name of the bishop. We simply function on his behalf. And there's one power that cannot be delegated, and that is the power to anoint, uh, to, to, uh, to uh, consecrate other bishops or to ordain. That's limited uniquely to the, uh, to the bishop. So, and even then, a bishop must have witnesses. This is so important. Mm-hmm. So there are always, uh, since Nicaea, one of the great church councils in the 4th century, there are always three bishops present at the consecration of a new bishop. As witnesses, oh, okay. yeah, so I there see. are three that lay their lay their hands on. So the idea was that's how we get priests, and uh, you know, so priests are simply the council of elders who became extensions of the bishop. Mm-hmm. Originally, they were all in one place at the cathedral, but the cathedral meaning simply the seat, the place where the bishop exercises teaching function in the ancient world. The bishop's pe- church, right? The cathedral meant in the ancient world, people taught sitting down was a sign of authority. Remember, we talked about Jesus taking a seat, you know, and the, the, the sitting down and teaching. So the the bishop, the the place where he had his seat, where he exercises teaching, was that church was the cathedral, the place that had his chair, so to speak. The cathedral, cathedral okay. Latin, is a chair with a back on it. So I I feel like when people think of cathedral nowadays, we think of you know uh, Notre Dame or Chartres or very big Gothic buildings. But you're saying that that's actually not exactly what the word cathedral means. It means no. the seat of the bishop. It could be a, it could be a mud hut. Okay, it's, uh, basically <laughs> wherever the wherever the the bishop where you where you find the bishop where he 
basically represents the the church where he does what the bishop does those three things is the is the cathedral so as bishops change changed did cathedrals change as location wise well actually not because what happened was bishop the idea was to show unity there would only be one bishop in one city hmm. and so the idea with since it's always in the same place is the bishop came to be identified again with that one particular church which would be the cathedral sure sure okay um, so this, so this is all in an effort to re- remind the church that she is one. But it's not just a reminder, though. It's a fact. I mean, the church is a living reality. It's a connection, you know, across time and across space. Everyone has been in, has been laying on of hands that has kept the same witness to the Lord. You know, apostle. We're told Jesus. We're, we're told actually the apostle is someone a witness to the resurrection. Originally, someone had actually seen the risen Jesus, but they're they're the special anointed witnesses of the resurrection, mm-hmm. and that's where which we, around which we build the church. I think what might be a confusing sometimes is we sometimes think that we have the fact of Jesus, the Son of God, who did these things and taught us, and that somehow all of us who came after after figure what do we do with this? How do we organize? Mm-hmm. How do we sort of follow them together? And like we make this, we we create structures, but actually, again, that structure actually the Lord started it. Yeah. The Lord himself starts out with his apostles. He actually chose what that structure was and passed it on to us. And that's the, the structure of the church. You know, the, the bishop uh, surrounded by his elders, his priests, and assisted by the, by the deacons. Yeah, so tell me about deacons. What are deacons? Well, the first ones uh, came from, a, uh, which I say was it's not our, our proudest moment in the church. Uh, in Acts 6, we have a, a situation where there, there are disputes about how money was being managed, frankly. And uh, the apostles were too busy with ministry and things, and so they chose, they chose special people. They chose some people to uh, to deal with that, to make sure that the um, administration for widows and orphans things was was done properly, was properly administered. And so deacons came to be especially associated with the service function of the church. They represent the church, but especially sort of in that kind of ministry. They also have a role in the Eucharist to emphasize the connection between that that uh, that life and the and the spiritual life of the church. Okay, what's their role in the Eucharist? Well, uh, the bishop assists, uh, rather the deacon assists the the priest um, in, in in celebration in uh, t- serving the table. Almost. They set the table, okay. and they also traditionally um, are involved with the cup. You know, serving the cup. Yeah. So tell me about. And, oh, I'm sorry. I should say what most important mm-hmm. is they they proclaim the gospel. Oh, really? Always. The deacon always proclaims the gospel. So this isn't just a sort of, so deacons aren't just a kind of, uh, you know, we need some people to take care of some things around the house. Oh, no, for no. Us. This, is, this is an anointed ministry. It's a laying on of hands. It's a special gift of the Holy Spirit. And to show that connection, that this ties into our worship is one of the reasons they're at the table, showing that those two aren't divorced. It's not though we, we pray and then we serve. That, that, that's a connecting yeah. A visible connection of those two things. And that was that Stephen? Stephen was a... Right, Stephen was one of them because uh, all of them have Greek names originally because the dispute was that the church had ethnic divisions between people who came from Jewish background in Jerusalem and those who came from Greek background. And the Greek background say they were being overlooked. You know, ethnically, uh-huh. they're somehow being overlooked and say so it shows some reliable Greeks. Yeah, and Stephen and was sure, one of them. And he was one of them. That's a Greek name, Stephanos. The thing that always impressed me about Stephen was that I think sometimes I I had read the scripture and thought that oh they just need someone to manage no, the no. the service but but when Stephen gets hauled up before the Sanhedrin he makes an incredible sermon he has an incredible account of himself obviously he's really gifted in 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 teaching and, and deacons do speak for the church mm-hmm. they speak in a different way than priests and bishops but for example at the ordination of a deacon he's always presented with the Bible. 
Okay. You know, they, they speak for the church. That's part of what they do. They speak differently. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's bishops, priests, and deacons. That's all the time we have left for this episode of Word and Table. Uh, We're going to leave off this point in the conversation and come back next week to finish it out by discussing church polity, parishes, dioceses, provinces, the whole um, structure of the church and and where that all came from. Uh, Until then, thanks so much for listening to Word and Table, and we'll see you next week.